Stanislaus Reads and Writes presents Ashes in a Teardrop, narrated by Emerson Drake. Enjoy the unique writing styles of 15 local authors, each contributing a chapter in this first community novel project from the Stanislaus County Library. The novel begins when a young couple stumbles across an abandoned teardrop trailer during a weekend bike ride along the Tuolumne River. What follows is a suspenseful mystery set against the familiar landscape of Stanislaus County. Ashes in a Teardrop, Chapter 6 The sun slipped into the room, forcing its way under the lids of a very tired Jerry. He clenched his eyes shut, protesting the inevitable announcement of morning. His effort was in vain, though. The bright beams were unrelenting. Jerry's eyes snapped open, bloodshot from a night of late work and bad sleep. Do you want coffee? Jerry asked Amy with a yawn, shuffling past her in the kitchen. I did want coffee. That's why I made it. Amy scooted an empty mug across the counter. You can refill mine, though. Jerry welcomed Amy's sarcasm as a return to normalcy after a full week of added shifts and missed meals. So I've made a list, Amy began. Her enthusiasm struck a chord of dread in Jerry. Her list usually meant chores. A list of what, he asked, feigning interest. A list of places we can go today to research the wax embossing on the urn. Amy's zeal for finding the owners had reached new heights since the urn's return. Okay, here's my counter. We don't research. We hang out and watch movies all day. Maybe order a pizza. Jerry's grin made Amy's raised eyebrows, and he knew he was going to lose. Okay, here's my counter. We go research at the library because you've missed every dinner this week. Good compromise, he said in a teasing tone. Let me go take a shower, and then we can go. Jerry took his time getting ready, hoping the delay would make Amy change her mind. Instead, she waited, staunching her plans to be productive on his first day off. At first, Jerry had been excited to hear from the coroner's office earlier that week. Is this Jerry Curtis? Yes. This is Deputy Coroner Jonathan Scott. I'm following up on the ashes that were brought in. You and your wife are listed as our point of contact. He paused for a response, but received none. We ran a toxicology analysis that proved negative for any illicit substances, and there's no DNA match to any of our missing persons listings. Since we don't have the resources to run a more extensive autopsy on cremated remains, we are delivering them to the funeral home. If you and your wife want to take responsibility, you may come to the office and fill out papers and legally have the remains released to your care. That's excellent, Jerry blurted out in spite of the somber circumstances. That's one word for it, Scott replied in a clipped tone. This also makes you accountable for the $175 transportation fee. That's fine, Jerry said. He felt blessed by the county's lack of funding until Amy, with her endless supply of energy, latched onto the mystery. Are you ready, she asked, snapping Jerry back to the present. I guess so, he said with a sigh. Giant pillars surrounded the downtown library like diligent warriors protecting a Greek palace. The white facade did little to disguise the years of wear and tear. Amy and Jerry walked past the two sets of automatic doors and into the belly of the information beast. Amy felt confident that there were questions that would be answered. Jerry did not share his wife's certainty, but he knew his feelings were inconsequential at this moment. This was his penitence for bailing on her all week. So where should we start? Amy asked with a grin. I don't know. You have the list. Besides, who goes to libraries anymore anyway? Smart people go to libraries, Amy snapped. She approached the reference desk, newly hushed husband in tow. Hi, I was wondering if you could help us. I really don't know where to start, but my husband and I are looking for some information on this symbol, Amy said, showing the reference librarian a crude drawing. He eyed the symbol for a while while mulling over where to send them. 
Well, if you think it might be a local symbol, I can direct you back to the Special Collections Room. It has information on local history and things like that. Or if you don't think that's the case, there's always our reference section. The Special Collections Room sounds perfect, thank you. Amy smiled her appreciation and went off to dredge through the decades of local history. The scavenger hunt for clues about a mysterious symbol on an urn did not turn out to be as easy as Amy had assumed it would be. They had investigated the racks and pulled all the books that seemed that they might be helpful. The volume seemed endless. As soon as Amy ruled out one, Jerry gave her another from the pile. Why does Modesto have so much history? Amy lamented. Better question is, how is it all so well documented? Yeah, it's well preserved, but that doesn't answer anything. We still have a lot more books to go through. We'll find something. Jerry's optimism threw Amy off. Look at you enjoying my idea. What a shock. Look at you enjoy being right. What a shock. The tower of books began to take on an ominous feel. How are we going to get through all of these, Amy asked. Don't worry. This book looks like a winner, Jerry said, pulling a random encyclopedia from the middle of the stack like a Jenga block. Tower swayed but remained in place. Amy plucked a history and photographs from the top and they both went back to perusing the pages. Holy, Amy, you won't believe this. Shut up. No, seriously, Jerry said, pointing at a picture of two men holding an urn and looking solemn, the way everyone looked in the late 19th century. Even in black and white, the photo was clearly of their urn. What does it say about it, Amy pressed. I haven't gotten to it yet. I just saw the picture. Should we make a copy of it? Yeah, probably, Jerry answered. Do you have ten cents? Amy was fishing around her wallet when her phone started ringing. She didn't recognize the number, but answered anyway. Hello, is this Amy? This is she. Who's this? This is Chuck. We met at the bar in Oakdale the other week. Oh, Chuck. Yes, hi. Hi, I was just calling to say I talked to the owner, and he didn't have a whole lot more information about the symbol. Oh, really? Man, I hoped for a better outcome with that. We are actually at the library right now researching it. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Amy cut Chuck off before he could offer to call back another time. Don't be silly. I appreciate you calling me at all. We are going to leave here soon, anyway, now that we found something. Oh, you did? Anything interesting? Potentially. We just kind of stumbled onto a picture, but haven't examined it yet. Why don't you come over for dinner tonight and look with us? Oh, no, I wouldn't want to put you out. It's no trouble. It's my way of saying thanks for snooping around for us. We'll see you tonight at six. Amy rattled off her address to Chuck and hung up. Jerry eyed her, waiting to be let in on whatever plan she'd just made for them. So I take it someone's coming over for dinner tonight, Jerry said after Amy didn't meet his gaze. Chuck, that guy I told you I met at the bar. He called to say he asked the owner of the bar and it's a dead end. Oh, then why did you invite him to dinner? Well, he's lived around here a lot longer than we have. I thought he might be helpful in putting some of the pieces together. Jerry nodded and went to look for a copy machine. Amy pretended not to notice how late Chuck was. She dismissed his apologies with a wave of her hand, saying it was no big deal. I appreciate you two having me over for dinner. We appreciate you coming, Amy said as she walked to the kitchen to put dinner on the table. The small talk continued for longer than anyone wanted. Jerry finally ended the awkward weather and weekend plans conversation by pulling out a collection of photocopied sheets. This is what we managed to gather at the library, he said. Yes, let's get to it, Chuck said, his excitement contagious. Amy stopped eating and looked at the papers Jerry had fanned onto the table. They each picked one to read and were absorbed instantly. They read and reread the articles, trying to tease out some clue that might have been overlooked. 
This is all so interesting, Chuck said, breaking the silence. May I see the urn? Oh, yeah, we just got it back today, Jerry said enthusiastically, hopping up to get it. He carried it into the dining room, gripping it tight. His fingers had turned white, and he was taking slow, calculated steps as if he were walking down the aisle at a wedding. His concentration showed on the creases on his forehead. Wow, that's beautiful, Chuck said, admiring the urn, as Jerry rotated it to show him the intricate designs and different angles. Amy looked from a piece of paper and yelped, Here! Chuck and Jerry's attention were ripped away from the antique. It says the urn is made of real ivory, amethyst, and pearl, and that it was created for William Chapman Ralston's ashes after his untimely death. Who is William Chapman Ralston? Jerry said sheepishly. Modesto's namesake, sort of, Chuck answered. They were going to use his last name, but he asked them not to, thus proving his modesty, which is what Modesto means in Spanish. However, Amy said, calling the attention back to her findings. However, the urn was stolen before it could be used. It was valued at $400 in 1870 and is estimated that today is worth more than 30 times that. 30 times? Geez, this is one hell of an urn, Chuck said, his eyes wide. Yeah, and this book isn't even current. It was written back in the 1970s or something. It has to be worth even more now. Amy's palpable glee made Jerry laugh. Maybe that's why this guy called us claiming to be the heir of it, he said. What guy? Chuck asked, concern in his voice. Oh, just some guy he called to say he found our information from the sheriff's department and the trailer and urn belonged to him, Jerry answered nonchalantly. That doesn't sound good. If this urn is as valuable as the book says, you should be extra careful. Do you want me to take it for you? I have a really secure safe in my house. No, I think it's okay. I've got a pretty good hiding place here, Jerry said. He tried to sound reassuring, but a note of insecurity crept in. Okay, if you're sure. Yeah, thanks for offering, though. No problem. Chuck glanced at his watch. Nine o'clock already? Wow, I didn't even realize it was that late, Amy said. I guess we're just having too good a time. How about if I take you guys out for some dessert? I've had a hankering for ice cream since I got into town. It's the least I can do after the wonderful dinner, Chuck said, his earnest tone winning Amy over. Sure, the ice cream company is just down the way. Jerry? Yeah, that sounds good. You two go in Chuck's car and I'm going to lock up. Jerry tidied up his photocopies and locked both locks. As he started down the walkway, Jerry felt a heaviness in the air, making him uncomfortable. His eyes darted around, but he saw nothing. He even walked back to double-check that he had locked the door before getting into his car. Amy and Chuck had already ordered by the time he arrived. They sat patiently awaiting their treats, trying to avoid talking about the urn and symbol. But they ended up there regardless. It was like moths to a flame. They couldn't help but let themselves be pulled back into discussing all of the details of the trailer and the urn and speculating who could be inside. But who could have just taken it, Amy would ask. I don't know, the men would respond. Chuck appeared to be as clueless as they were, but enjoyed playing detective. The three ate their ice cream pensively, contemplating possible answers between breaks in the conversation. And how did it wind up in the trailer, Amy would ask, new question at the ready. I don't know, Jerry or Chuck would respond again. The ice cream session went on like that until they neared the last spoonfuls. Chuck went to pay while Amy and Jerry collected their phones and their thoughts. Well, I had a great time, Chuck said warmly as they walked out. Yeah, thanks so much for the help. It's always good to have another head in the mix, Amy said. Well, I don't know how much good my head will be, but I'm always happy to help, Chuck said, waving goodbye. 
He got into his truck and turned toward Oakdale. He seems really nice, Jerry said on the drive home. Yeah, I like him. They were quiet as they drove, enjoying the warm night. The house looked welcoming as Jerry pulled into the driveway. Amy waltzed up the walk. Did you not lock the door, she called to Jerry, who was coming up behind her. What? Yes, I did. I locked both locks. I even double-checked. Why is it ajar, then? Alarm flashed across both their faces. Jerry barked at Amy to stay outside and call the police, then tiptoed into the foyer. Paper littered the floor. Drawings had been pulled out and ripped through. Jerry followed the trail into the garage, his panic rising. He scrambled for the door and tore it open. There she sat, their little teardrop trailer, just as dinged up as she had been. He felt relief, followed quickly by a fear that whoever wanted the urn now knew where they lived. Jerry! Amy yelled from the front porch. I'm in the garage, he said. It's okay, you can come in. Amy stepped delicately through the debris field their house had become. She peered into drawers to see if anything had been taken. All seemed to be in order. Is the trailer okay? Amy asked in a squeaky voice. Yeah. What about the urn? The urn is fine, Jerry answered. After you two left, I decided to put it in the trunk of the car. Chuck kind of spooked me on it being dangerous here. Amy exhaled and looked around. The cops said they would be here shortly to take a report. Okay. Maybe we should call Chuck and let him know what happened, Amy suggested. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Jerry was rattled. Amy could tell from his voice. She stepped out to the garage to make a phone call and was back before Jerry noticed she had left. He didn't seem surprised, especially now that we know how valuable the urn is. He offered to come back and pick it up, but I told him not tonight. Too many things are going on. Jerry nodded his head absently as Amy rubbed his arm, trying to soothe him. Yeah, he murmured. The couple stood awkwardly waiting for the police to arrive. Chuck looked at the phone after hanging up with Amy. His fingers punched out a number. Hey, Bob, it's Chuck. The urn is close. There was a pause on the other end. Thanks for that, the other man hissed. He hung up the phone and set it on the diner counter in front of him. Miss, may I have my check, please, the man asked, beckoning coolly to the waitress. He held up his card before she could even set the bill down. When she returned, he laid the card and the receipts on the counter. Thank you, Robert. We'll be looking forward to seeing you again. The man walked out the door, leaving his sign bill behind him. R.R. with the R's mirroring each other.